Well, welcome back to QAV Recorded. Uh, this We're doing this one on the 30th of March 2020. This is Season 3, Episode 4, I think. Let's call it that. How are you, TK? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Very good, thank you. That's good. Uh, still in Sydney? Still in Sydney. We haven't gone down to Cape Shank yet. Nope, still in Sydney. Right. And really, business as usual. I mean, for us, work from home types. Are you playing golf? Uh, I played last week, but uh, I know Cape Shank, has, the national at Cape Shank shut down. Um, so I think the golf course here is still real, open. But that's the real reason you're not going to Cape Shank. Is yeah, it's one of them. You have nothing to do. Man, <laughs> What's <now>. the point? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so the one here, St. Michael's, is still open, but they're uh, going to start doing some major works on the course to... To, to make good use of this slow time, so yeah. I, I can still play there, but it won't be great. Right, and with, with teams no bigger than two people, you and a caddy. <laughs> no, you can still have uh, three, I think, but you've got to maintain social distancing. Really? I thought no no group gatherings more than two oh, people, yeah. ScoMo said. that changed today. Yeah. That changed today, you're yeah. right, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, it doesn't affect me. I played by myself last week anyway. Do you? Yeah, you know, uh, I thought if you played by yourself, you went blind. Isn't that? Uh, yeah. I do have a mate I play with it, um, regularly, but he's over in the States. I'm not even sure if he's made it back into Australia now. You know, it takes it a whole <laughs> different context. Catholic priests selling us, if you play with yourself, you go blind now. Because they go, well, but if there's another person, if you have another person there with you, <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> yeah, there must be a lot of... Um, Altar boys shaking in their boots at the moment. Who's, who's going to be the one person who goes with the priest for Mass this weekend? <laughs> anyway, uh, so yeah. speaking of shaking in their boots, um, mm. the market had a bit of a rebound last week, Tony, uh, because Trump Trump has announced that everything's going to be fine within two weeks. Uh, $2 trillion bailout package passed by Congress. The Dow went up. Jubilation, dancing in the streets. Every $2 trillion. Uh, the market's going to be back to normal. Uh, oh, editing room note, obviously, since we recorded this, Trump's gone, eh, maybe not so much. Maybe, it's, maybe it might take another month. So, uh, yeah, watch and wait, I guess. Uh, well, you okay? Sorry. Did you just collapse? Should I call 911? No, sorry, I just... Triple uh, zero, whatever just, it is. <laughs> I had my phone on the edge of the desk and I knocked it, sorry. That's okay. Um, uh, uh, market rebounded and, of course, the market rebounded a bit here as well. Uh, what, what, what do you make of all of that? Is it time to jump back in, TK? Because people keep emailing me every day. <laughs> can, can we buy yet? Can we buy? What should we do? What's Tony doing? <laughs> Well, I think we have to say again, like we did every other week, I'm doing nothing at the moment. Uh, I don't think it's time to buy. Uh, and uh, I'll, I'll go through and give you my reasons. Apart from the obvious ones, like every every stock we look at has a three-point sell line going through the floor. So I think it's too early just on that basis. Uh, but um, let, me, let me talk a little bit about market psychology as well. Uh, so... People may be familiar with the with Kubler Ross, who put together the five stages of of grief, and uh, that that has been used in the past to look at look at how markets work as well, because they they are of course made up of humans, and the the five stages of grief are denial, anger, depression, bargaining, and acceptance. Uh, 
And if, well, let me ask you, where do you think we are in that cycle in terms of how a market's operating at the moment? Uh, run, denial. Denial, anger, depression, bargaining and acceptance. Uh, well, I would say uh, bargaining. Oh, okay. I don't think we're that far. I think we're in anger still. <laughs> anger? <laughs> yeah, I think I think we had a lot of denial and, and Donald Trump was probably the, the paragon of denial before uh, things really broke out in the US. Yeah. Now we're having anger. You know, who the hell let that ship dock in the in Sydney last week? And, and why hasn't Donald Trump done enough for us? And blah, blah, blah. And after we've been in lockdown for three or four weeks, we're going to have depression. And then I think we go to bargaining after that. You know, gee, if I just stay in lockdown for another three or four weeks, this thing will pass. And then we'll have acceptance. After everything's beaten out of us, any sort of resistance or optimism is beaten out of us, we'll have acceptance. So and that's probably about the time when you buy. You're not buying Donald Trump's, well, everyone's going back to work in two weeks uh, plan oh, now? God, no. no I, don't think, <laughs> I, I don't think anyone's buying that. <laughs> well, the, the Dow rebounded oh, last yeah. week. Somebody's buying something. Yeah, but that's that's the other thing that's going on in the market at the moment. There's, uh, I mean, it's full of the people who are just, uh, well, there's three things, I think, going on. There's stimulus junkies. So if you look at the last 10 years, every time QE happened and the, and the, uh, the uh, interest rates went down 25%, the market rallied. And now it's rallying on stimulus packages. So there are, there are people out there who just can't wait to invest in the market. Mm. But it's the wrong time. They're, um, seeing, they're, they're stimulus junkies. They're, and they're seeing cheaper price. I mean, prices are down yeah. 30%, yeah. whatever, 50% in some cases. They're like, oh, it's cheap. I'm jumping back in at the first sign of uh, life. They're jumping back in. Yeah, that's right. And they're, and they're also what they call the FOMOs, the fear of missing outs. Mm-hmm. There are, there are so many people out there, especially people who haven't been through these things before, who think to themselves, I can pick the bottom. Mm-hmm. And won't I be a hero at the dinner party if I can say I bought on the day that things rebounded? Mm-hmm. And that's just bullshit. Are these I mean, all it's... amateurs or are these professionals as well doing this, like your fund managers, oh, etc.? Bit of both. I mean, it would really make a fund manager's career if they could say that they you know, sold out before the market went down or bought in when the market first started rebounding. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, and, and you'll find that that's going to be the case just through randomness. I mean, if there's a thousand fund managers <laughs> buying and selling, someone's going to pick it right. Yeah. yeah. You know, broken clock is right twice a day type yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's very rare you see that person get it right twice in a, in a row. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's I mean, you know, they, they loved, they want to be heroes basically, and that's not how you should, you should approach the share market. I mean, yes, one day there'll be a bottom, and yes, someone will be buying on that day, but chances are it won't be us. Doesn't Charlie Munger have an aphorism about timing the market? I'm sure we've mentioned one at some point. Well, he talks about uh, you, you can't time... You know, time in the market is better than timing the market. Right, yeah. Yeah, so he's saying he's saying stick in the market and don't try and time it. Uh, which, you know, to be honest, we don't necessarily adhere to because I like to sell on the way down and then buy on the way up. Uh, which which improves my returns over the years, but you, uh, you you only sell according to the rules. Correct. The same yes. rules you would sell on in a bull market if a particular stock yes. breached its three point trend line. So you're not doing anything different. You're just obeying the the stop loss formulas that you have 365 days a year. 
Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think the last thing to mention is uh, there's a lot of short covering going on in the market right now. So, yeah, I've seen some talk you know, about that. So talk talk me through that. What, how does that relate to the the bump, the bounce? Yeah, so if I'm if I'm a fund manager who's shorting stocks, I've just had a probably my best year in ten years mm. and made, you know, thirty percent on the index and, and maybe 50, 60, 70% on some of the stocks which have fallen much further than the index. Mm. But I don't make money until I buy those stocks back and give them back to the person who lent them to me. Right. And so what I tend to do is I'll watch the market and when it has a strong day or a strong couple of days, I'll, I'll be uh, buying back those stocks because I don't want the market to go higher and while I'm, while I'm not in that stock to give it back to the person who lent it to me. So... Oftentimes what you see when, when it's a short cover is look at the last hour of trading. And uh, if, it, if it drops off, that means that there's no support from the big guys. And if it, if it bounces up heavily in the last hour, that's usually the short coverers have been watching the market all day and deciding it's time to, to buy back in and give the stock back and lock in their profits. Right. And does that mm-hmm. explain... So those two things you talked about opportunists trying to time the market and people covering their short positions, those are the two major things that uh, explain dead cat bounces? I think so. I, I mean, the, the third thing which I think we should also talk about is dollar cost averaging. So those people who are emailing you saying, is this a good buy now? Uh, if, if you really think that, if you understand the stock, if you know it well, then uh, you can certainly start to buy when the market's you know cheaper than it was last year mm-hmm. but I wouldn't do it all on one day you, you've got to you've got to maybe divide up your your, your uh, investment amount into say four lots and, and buy a lot this month and next month and the month after and the month after that mm. uh, because uh, you just can't pick the bottom mm. it's like that old Moody Brigadoon right the Scottish <laughs> village that comes to life only once in a hundred years <laughs> everyone's running around the countryside trying to find it but it, it, you know, it's pretty hard to catch it's the same as the bottom of a share market <laughs> <laughs> that's the weirdest analogy you've come up with for a while <laughs> well, I think it's pretty apt though isn't it like a, a thing that only appears once in a hundred years what a day this has been what a rare mood I'm in why it's almost like being in love there's a smile on my face for the whole human race why it's almost like being in love oh what a lovely voice gene kelly had eh? (laughs) what a lovely voice Uh, i've got a feeling this could be wrong but i've got a feeling that uh francis ford coppola had a hand in the script for brigadoon as well no, no, that was that was a movie with uh, Fred Astaire. Was I, it? I, yeah, I've wrong? seen that one. Uh, what what was? That? Yeah, you know, yeah, no, yeah, so, <laughs> okay. something similar though, right? Like uh, Irish, yeah. Irish or Scottish or something. Yeah, Finian's Rainbow. Finian's oh, Rainbow. Rainbow. Yeah. yeah, the story revolves yeah. around a leprechaun who follows an Irishman <laughs> who stole his pot of gold and took it to the U.S. South. Uh, directed by Francis Ford Coppola in 1968, it came out. Uh, I mean, I don't know. His best work? I don't think so. Uh, no. <laughs> yeah, pretty good, like uh, six point, uh, 57% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, not quite up there with uh, 
the Godfather. Or no, Apocalypse or Now. Marketing the Messiah. <laughs> marketing the Messiah. <laughs> Nine, average review, 9.5 out of 10 on IMDb at the moment. Uh, I have to say, Tony, Marketing the Messiah. Uh, Fantastic. Yeah, I mean, come on. I mean, it's got nothing to do with the fact that everyone reviewing it's a friend of mine, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I'll getting take it while it lasts. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. back to that. Getting back to the markets. So I, I mentioned Kubler-Ross. I think we're in the early stages of grief for this market and it will take a while to, to pan out. Right. I want to also talk quickly about a guy called Kopik, who I think in the 60s was a, a, a fund manager who did a fair bit of uh, trend analysis type work. And he tried to compare the share market to the length of time people spent grieving after a loved one died. And uh, that, that timing was sort of 12 to 18 months. And so he, he puts together a, a thing called the Copic curve and people can Google what that is. It's basically another moving average type curve, but basically it takes between 12 and 18 months before uh, the market returns after a significant event. So, so those two things, whilst they're, being, whilst they're kind of like rules of thumb, they're, they're certainly at play in every kind of downturn in the market. Just like we talked about last year how this time it's different and people had a fear of missing out and they wanted to chase the hot stock and all that kind of stuff was, was fueling the market last year. The, the same sort of things that we've seen in the past will fuel the market before it rebounds. Mm. And uh, I want to quote from a guy called James Spensley and he currently runs a fund, a fund which is basically his own money but I think he has some friends and family in it too. Uh, people might recognise the name. He was the one of the founders of Vocus Communications, which is a stock that we've bought and sold in the QAV uh, portfolio in the past and in my own. But anyway, he was asked to comment on the current market and the quote goes, my current model suggests that after lockdown periods, eight to 12 weeks to get the cases down to a manageable level globally, we will have to open back up to keep the economy somewhat alive, but with the stronger testing and tracking measures. measures. Uh, the, the, that was his quote. According to the entrepreneur, monetary policy is exhausted and the economic downturn is, is going to become worse than anyone expects. Then back to Spensley. People who are predicting that we have had a bad quarter of GDP and then it returns to normal levels have clearly never run a business. Next news flow is going to be global big brand bankruptcies, huge small business bankruptcies, unprecedented in their lifetime, unemployment rates, depression era comparable, all faster than it's ever happened before. Globally, Spensley thinks numerous fund managers will fail or shut down with the real risk of banks going bankrupt. An Italian debt default could trigger another Eurozone, Eurozone crisis. And another last quote, if you honestly think you can call stocks cheap before all of that, you're kidding yourself. Moreover, the market is still ignoring the extreme likelihood of new outbreaks, says Spensley. So I think I think that's, uh, I mean, it's probably the most pessimistic picture being painted, but it's it's still something you need to really take notice of, I think. Yeah. And, and cer certainly something which is pretty close to how I think things will go as well. Yeah. Well. Uh, and and just, on, just on that, he's talking about fund managers closing down. Fund managers, you know, already have, if they're just holding the index, have 30% less of their funds under management, so their fees are going down. Plus, they're having to manage with uh, with people withdrawing funds, and in Australia, the industry super funds are already saying we don't have enough cash to be able to pay people their twenty thousand dollars if they withdraw them from our funds. 
Mm. So they're all scrambling to try and liquidate assets and and uh, get some cash in case people withdraw. So just just think about the flow on effects of all that through the stock market. If people are closing down funds and they're selling stocks, mm. or they're selling stocks to pay for redemptions, or they're selling stocks to allow people to to, to withdraw their government mandated twenty thousand dollars in super at the moment. Mm. Uh, we we haven't really seen this the start of that yet, or maybe we're seeing the start. We certainly haven't seen the finish of that. Mm. One last quote while we're on this happy subject. Uh, Alan Kohler was interviewing Jeff Wilson and Jeff Wilson said something like, uh, we've been selling lots of stocks recently to raise cash for our portfolios. And Alan Kohler asked, can you tell me which stocks you sold? Jeff Wilson responded, I prefer not to because we thought there were five companies in our portfolio that might go under. So I prefer not to. Wow. So he's he's found, and they would they would be, major companies on the ASX. He's, he's saying there's five companies that were in his portfolio that won't be here in the future. Wow. Hmm. So I, I don't think we've seen the last of it. I think we're seeing the start of it. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So that kind of leads us to some of our questions about <laughs> what are we buying at the moment? We're not buying anything. Um, <laughs> I think you know, uh, someone asked us about Kathmandu. Uh, and if you look at the graph for Kathmandu, this is a stock I've I've bought and sold in the past. I think it's a good retailing stock. It, it does have all the the uh, leverages to the economy that retail stocks do, and so it can be a bit volatile. Uh, you know, it was uh, and it's changed recently. Kathmandu had a history of uh, heavy discounting at the end of in the, at the end of winter in particular, when people in New Zealand would go and it's a New Zealand-based company, by the way. People in New Zealand would go and buy their Kathmandu coats at half price. Uh, in sort of uh, September, October, and then put them away and start wearing them again in March. And so it was a very lumpy company. Um, and then new management took them away from that kind of model and, and people weren't sure whether they would uh, be as successful. And so the, the share price has been up and down. Um, but, you know, you think about it, Kathmandu, I'm pretty sure that they've withdrawn guidance. That means they don't know what, what's going to happen. Um, and bear in mind, we're only three months away from the end of the financial year. Mm. So, you know, for companies to not be able to predict what their final numbers are going to look like within the range at this stage, you know, begs the question, how, how on earth can we predict it? Mm. Um, so, yes, they may be cheap. And yes, if you want a dollar cost average, go ahead. And that's not a recommendation, by the way. But I'm saying that people are, in a very broad sense, correct that we're closer to the bottom now than we probably were last year. Well, we are, uh, but um, but you know, I don't think we're close to. I don't think we're we're reaching the bottom just yet. So dollar cost average, if you if you're tempted to buy. But, uh, but going by the QAV rules, if you look at Kathmandu, mm-hmm. uh, and we I go to, I look at a five month uh, a five year monthly chart, and I draw my three point trend line through the the the, the low points. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's well under the <laughs> well under yeah. the three point trend line, so uh, yep. for us it, we would wait for it to uh, you know come back up, show sustained signs of life, upward mm-hmm. upward support before we would we would buy into it according to the the QAV guidelines. Correct, and and just while we're on that, you can see Kathmandu is probably a good example. You can see that. Uh, if you draw a line through its two highest points, or its or its uh, highest point, and then the point to the right, I should say, 
for accuracy. Uh, at currently, we'd be looking at a price of about $2.50 before we bought in, and the price is now 95.5 cents. But what happens, Cam, is as each month rolls forward, that line drops low, drops lower on the on the y-axis because uh, the the y-axis is receding from us. If that makes sense. Yes. So currently it's at two dollars fifty, mm. but next month it might be at about two dollars thirty, and the month after it might be down around two two twenty, etc. etc. So you know, as as this market plays out, our buy price gets lower. Is I guess what I'm trying to say. Right. And so when we do see an uptrend, it won't have to be as strong as going from $0.95 cents to $2.75 before we buy. It might be in a couple of months' time and it needs to go from a dollar to a dollar fifty. Hmm. I'd never never hmm. thought about that before. You're right. So as the axis moves, that, yeah. lo- that line comes down lower and lower. Oh. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Interesting. So, so yeah, so just be patient, people. <laughs> and look, and I think the whole thing about QAV is we're working off data. We're not working off guesses. Yeah. Uh, you know, sometimes I let experience guide me a little bit too, but, you know, data's key in investing, I think. Uh, given the fact that even the CEOs of these companies can't forecast what's going to happen within three months, I don't see how we can base our our decisions to buy or sell on any sort of data at all at the moment. Yeah. Yes, Katmandu will will come back. I'm well. Maybe it's one of Jeff Wilson's five companies that don't, but I think it will come back. And that's just a guess. Uh, but the question is, when do you buy? Yeah. You know, and they probably. I think I'm pretty sure they probably shuttered their shop, so they're just working online at the moment. We don't know how many costs they're having to carry during this period. They've probably sorted out their wages, but they're still probably paying you know electricity and rent, or they might have a rent holiday for a while. But, you know, all these things have to flow through into their calculations before we can get any idea of what the next six months is going to look like. Mm-hmm. Not the least of which, as Spensley says, like people are saying, oh, China's, China's coming out of lockdown. And it is. But China's also reported, I think, well, hundreds of cases at its borders now as, as COVID-19 comes in on travellers. So they've just shut down their airports again to international flights. So, you know, herd immunity hasn't happened in China. And if it has to stay locked down to prevent COVID-19 from coming in, uh, then uh, it's it's a long way from being back to, to fully up and running. It doesn't stop it from manufacturing and shipping stuff out, just stops people coming in, though. Well, yeah, but uh, if, if... True, but it's got to be... You've got to think that it's going to export a lot less at the moment because the other countries' economies aren't strong either. Oh, yeah. Its customers' economies aren't strong, so... yeah. There's that to take into account. And and just, I mean, you know, again, I'm playing the far-fetched sort of game here and, and I don't like sort of forecasting. But the, the cases in China happened in the Wuhan province. What happens if there's an outbreak in Beijing or Shanghai? Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is going to go through those places like wildfire. No, they, they, they know what to do now, man. <laughs> Boom. Build a hospital, well, throw everyone right. who's even seen an infected person in there, weld shut the doors and uh, mm. wait for it to pass, you know. But that's another two or three months. And what happens if COVID-19 no. mutates? <laughs> well, now we're really into, <laughs> you know, Des McCauley territory, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, Des McCauley's telling us that, we're, that it was all a... All a uh, C- was it, is he saying it's the CIA that, that did it? 
Well, you know, you... injected someone in Wuhan, or is he saying it's the Chinese who are trying to take over the world by infecting their own their own population first? <laughs> no, I don't think he's going with that. It's it's if you know, Des, it's probably the CIA, and I, you know, yeah, yeah. Who knows, man? But who knows? Um, but that's that's my point. We don't a lot know. Of, lot of speculation there. Yeah, and and yeah. again, one of the key things about QAV, one of the reasons I think it. it works so well for me not just as an investing strategy but as a um, peace of mind strategy is it avoids speculation it avoids timing it just says just look at the data and mm. uh, go by the data mm. yeah yep yep um all right well so I knew people are obviously eager to jump back in and put all of their newfound qav analysis skills <laughs> to good use i get it but Part of that is when you look at a stock, the first thing to do, in fact, I have to, I have to move this on the checklist, but we've talked about this, uh, I think, when we did the um, reboot of the Getting Started Guide last week, but I'm going to move the sentiment question to the very front of the checklist because that's yeah, the okay. go, no go. If it's, if it's the price is below the three-point trend line, then don't go any further. Stop. Cool your Ooh. heels. Wash your hands yeah. and then sit on them, as you say. <laughs> like Fonzie. Sit on it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> that's, that's what I'm yeah. going to do. As soon as I uh, turned you into the Pope on a video last week, I'm going to have to turn you into Fonzie next. <laughs> Just uh, sit on it. Because <laughs> yeah. I'm the Fonz. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. That, that Pope drawing was terrible. Too, by the way. <laughs> uh, it made me it made my day, Tony. I got a laugh yeah, out good. of it. Yeah, we need laughs at this, these days, don't we? <laughs> yeah. Hey, we got a question from Elmar. Uh, mm -hmm. Does Tony have any suggestion which is the best way to set up a profile for buying shares myself? I think we've we talked when when Stephen Mab was on the show two oh seven, I think it was. He talked about some of the brokerage services that he uses, but I did realise. Well, I don't think we've ever talked in detail about if you're brand new and you want to get started which brokerage service how should you, how, how do you go about finding a brokerage service do you want to give us a couple of thoughts on what you would do if you were a new person today yeah well it depends on the size you've got to invest that's the first thing and uh, that that lends itself to what structure you're investing through which we talked about before whether it's a family trust or a super fund or your own name uh, but I would, I'm assuming people are starting off with maybe $100,000 or something similar. Uh, then you've got to decide whether you go to a full service broker or you go online. Uh, the full service broker is going to be dearer, but you often get access to uh, information you won't get from online, although some of the online services are pretty good too. I'm thinking of the big ones like Comsec. In terms of providing you access to uh, um IPOs and fundraisings and uh, even even access to uh, MDs who are doing the rounds after their after their reports come out, so you can go and ask them questions and sit down with them and and, and uh, talk to them about their businesses. Um, so you need to take that into account first. If you if you're not the kind of person who's going to do that, if you're not the kind of person who's likely to have extra cash to put into IPOs or fundraisings, then I'd probably go the way of uh, an online broker. And then it's a question of finding one that you're, you know, balancing off value versus the services they provide. 
uh, Steve gave us uh, some some very low cost ones which are worth looking at. I used E-Trade pretty soon after I started investing and uh, then moved across. I was also using brokers as well. Uh, and then I, I trade exclusively through a broker at the moment. And uh, are they sponsoring the show so you give them a plug? Or... <laughs> <laughs> no, no, they're not. We should okay. talk to them about Screw that. them then. Screw <laughs> yeah. them. Um, is E-Trade is E-Trade still a thing? Is it still around? I don't oh, know. I don't know. I haven't used it for a long time. Right. But I'm using that. I mean, E-Trade used to be owned by ANZ. So I think, I think each of the major banks will have their own online platform and that can link into your own bank accounts and things like that. Right. Um, the, the thing to understand, though, if you're trading online, is that you're doing the trading, and uh, you you know you need to be aware of some of the the pitfalls that experienced market players can protect you from if, if you go into a broker. So things like uh, you can you can go and put an order on at what they call at market, which means that whatever the stock opens at or whatever the stock is priced at when you go to market with the trade is how it's filled. But if there is a big gap between the bid and sell prices uh, then you can you can pay too too much for a stock or you can sell it for too little so you've got to be aware of the fact that you're you know you're working in a market um, you've got to look at liquidity again the same thing might happen that if you want to buy ten thousand dollars worth of shares but there's only five thousand dollars for sale the next the next uh, bid in the market or the next sell in the market might be uh, you know half the price of what you're wanting to get so um, if you just go in with ten thousand dollars you'll soak up both bids and you'll get the good price plus the bad price so just be aware of that if you go and do it yourself online you you need to be a little bit sharp about how you do it if you go to a broker they're obliged to you know work diligently to give you the best the best uh, trade e-trade uh closed its doors in 2016 by the way it's now known as anz share investing okay mm. uh, i'm pretty sure it might be this the same or a similar business they may have just rebranded it yeah yeah okay all right and i think we went at length in the, the past uh the past podcast about uh uh, you know, making sure you st- if it's a if it's a certain price up to a thousand dollars of trade, and then it's a different percentage after that to make sure you you keep those things in mind when you're trading as well. Yeah, so pay attention to the fee structure, wherever yeah, you're right. going with, because as we've talked about before, uh, like with investing in managed funds, fees can eat into your returns quite a lot. Yes. A lot That's more. Right. I remember when we had Samatino on very early on, like in the first I don't know, dozen or so episodes. It, it was an eye opener to me when he was talking about that percentage is actually a percentage of the return, not a percentage of the amount of money that you invest in terms of how to think about it. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's one less doubling at the end of your life is how I think about it. If even if you're paying one or two percent in fees. Right. Mm. Mm. Okay. Uh, let me see. Uh, oh, Pete. Pete's uh, got some questions. Uh, I've Just wondering, I've identified companies with low price to cash and have found that some of these companies have negative net income. Just wondering if it's worthwhile looking further into these companies with negative net income or if it's a waste of time. Uh, I'm just trying to think. I think we may have had one company that had 
negative earnings per shares when we were when we were investigating it. Yeah, I think we did. I seem to recall that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it just depends on what the other metrics are like. Um, like if the earnings per share goes up in the following year, that's a good sign. Uh-huh. If the company has you know all the other quality metrics in place, like low debt and good financial health ratings and things like that. Um, equity going up, then uh, yeah, I'd still consider buying it. There might be a good reason for it to have negative net Correct. income in one or two years because they're investing heavily in something. Yes, that's right. Hmm. Okay, so it's just one data point out of our seventeen data points that we want to, you know, we'll score it on it and see how, see how it comes out at the end once you've looked at the rest of the data points. Yeah, well, I don't think we even use... Oh, we use net income, well, well earnings per share, uh, in our valuation. So our valuations will be negative, I think, for mm-hmm. our IV1. But otherwise, mm. we don't use it. Mm. But the future earnings per share um, could look we good. We do, yeah. In, yeah, that's right. If it's coming from a negative to a positive. Mm-hmm. But, uh, of course, at the moment, Pete, uh, start with the sentiment and <laughs> use that. I mean, I, I said to somebody in an email last night, I th- like, I think the... The only reason to be doing full QAV analysis on stocks at the moment is to get practice with doing the QAV analysis. For those of us that are still learning how to do that, um, you know, knowing where all the data is, if you're using Stock Doctor or any other tool, uh, you know, getting comfortable, getting quick with knowing where to go to get the data points, sticking it into the spreadsheet, getting familiar with it. This is a great time to be doing that, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you can do that to your heart's content because you're probably not going to find anything to buy anyway because the sentiment chart's going to be in the n- negative. But it does take, in my experience anyway, like it, it's taken me whatever, like a year of doing this. Um, and I, you know, I'm starting to feel like I know my way around the data and the checklist and I'm understanding it a bit better. But it's not a, I mean, if people have got a lot more experience in investing or, or reading a financial statement, they, they're... Uh, learning curve may be shorter but for me it, it's taken quite a long time but then again I also say to people like it's I, I figure it's like a one year learning curve and then you get to in, use this to in, base your investments on for the rest of your life so one year is, is nothing I wish I could learn Italian or French in one year and be fluent <laughs> in it. That'd, that'd be great yeah yeah I also think too that uh, if people are feeling a bit nervous or unsure do it on paper first or maybe, or maybe you put a little bit of your portfolio into QAV and, and get familiar with it as you go, but, but maybe don't put the whole lot in if you're not used to investing. Don't put the whole lot in? What do you mean? Yeah, so just following on to your comments about taking a year to learn how to do it, if you're starting now, as I think that last question kind of alluded to it, uh, then and you're not an experienced share market investor, then I would uh, not put all the portfolio into QAV at the moment. I'd get used to it. I'd run it on paper, maybe as a spreadsheet portfolio first, like we're doing with the QAV online. And when you're comfortable, you understand it all, then then sure, go go all in. Oh, okay, right. But we're not, in, I'm not talking about investing, I'm just talking about getting practice. Yeah. Yeah, right. I think we're saying the same thing. What I'm saying is don't, don't put 100% of your portfolio in day one and then get practice get the practice first yeah and now's a great time to practice because you're probably not going to be buying anything for three to six months anyway if you're going by qav Mm. 
And look, just on that buying thing, there are a couple of stocks which score well on our QAV and haven't gone into a three-point decline. So uh, again, you might want to consider buying those. I'm not at the moment because I just think things are so uh, in turmoil that uh, I don't think we can trust the QAV scores on some of these companies. And the one that comes to mind is Fortescue Metals Group. Yeah. So that's that's held up, and we bought some more a couple of weeks ago. Um, I wouldn't say we should buy any more because we'll be overweight, I think, and that's a lot of exposure to have to a to a company where we don't know what the earnings per share is going to look like in the future or or um, how it's going to come through. I mean, and, and, and there are other risks for shares like this. It's a mining company. If someone gets COVID-19 on a mine site, that shuts down. Or if, uh, you know, the borders tighten up and you can't export um commodities uh, to China, then that could have an effect. So I think it's just too risky to even buy into the stocks which tick all the boxes for us at the moment too. Yeah, like I've been saying to people for the last week, like even if it does, if 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 even if it hasn't breached the sentiment chart, we need new new guidance from these companies. Yeah. We, we're going to need Correct. to see what their financials are because obviously yeah. everything's just been, the, 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 the carpet's been pulled out of the entire economy some businesses will obviously do better than others but right now you you'd want to pay close attention to what the forecasts are what the analysts are saying we probably don't have a lot of that for these businesses so yeah yes that's right yep okay uh moving right along uh lee uh brisbane boy brisbane lee had a bit of an email chat with lee over the last couple of days uh lee uh, a bit like Stephen Mab, I think, uh, had a had a successful business and exited out of it uh, a year or so ago, and has been a full time investor since then. Um, he's got a bunch of questions. He says, "Does Tony ever use discounted cash flow or anything like that to come up with a margin of safety price?" Now I said, "You, we did do an episode for new listeners, season one, episode thirty-nine, where you did your comparison between you. You did like a full discounted cash flow mm-hmm. analysis and then compared it to our IV number one, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. Yes. And basically, and IV very similar. Yeah, IV number one is basically a shorthand way of doing a DCF. Correct. Yes. Hmm. Using this, using similar sorts of principles for for, for brand new listeners." Uh, do you want to give a, a quick couple of minutes on what a discounted cash flow is and why it's important? Yeah, so the whole basis of investing is uh, I want to I want to buy something now which is worth more to me in the future than what I pay for it. And often most things that we buy today, we're paying more than what the current uh, earnings per share is. So I'm thinking about let's let's start again. I'm thinking about if if uh, let's use the coffee shop example. If I'm buying a coffee shop, or if a coffee shop is offered to me at a certain price, uh, it's unlikely I can buy that coffee shop and have my money returned to me in a year of trading. So you're trying to work out well how many years will it take for me to get my money back for the price I pay for that coffee shop, and you're trying to factor in what are the risks inherent um, in running a coffee shop and and that you know, may or may not affect my ability to return my money. And what are the growth options? What are the growth potentials of running a coffee shop? And so it's a balancing act. And so one of the ways that accountants uh, try and put numbers around that is to make a projection, usually for 10 years, but it can be for five or even longer, 
uh, on what they think the coffee shop will earn, factoring in inflation, factoring in any sort of market growth that might happen, um, any ways that they can see of, of taking out costs in the coffee shop, and then saying, well, you know, if I spend X dollars now, I'm going to have 10 years of Y dollars, and is that a good investment? Mm-hmm. And they also, what they also do is discount the future earnings for inflation. So uh, if, uh, yeah, it's, if, if I offer you a, a jar of $1,000 worth of coins, gold coins at the moment, but I say you can't get it until, uh, in, until 10 years have passed, that $1,000 in 10 years' time is going to be worth less than $1,000 now. So you've got to work out what the price is or what the value of $1,000 is in 10 years' time and discount it back into today's, uh, today's money. So if you think inflation is going to eat away at that, thousand dollars in a gold gold coins in a jar so that in 10 years time it might be worth eight hundred dollars or seven hundred dollars or four hundred dollars then that's the price you're going to offer me and that's for a jar of coins without any um, ability to 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 grow or to run a business and sell more coffee in the coffee shop or whatever so that's basically what a discounted cash flow does it's a way of trying to work out uh, how long it takes me to repay what i've paid for the business and that, that's discounted for inflation and risk. And this is uh, the sort of thing that Buffett and Munger do, right, in their investing. You often hear discounted cash flow comes up in any discussion of Buffett. Yes, that's right. Uh, and we, we short-circuit that calculation by using the uh, earnings per share, both the current year and the, the forecast year, and divide them by um, a hurdle rate. And in the case of the current year, we use 19.5%. And in the future year, we use well, currently about, what, 6.25% because interest rates have dropped. And you found when we did the example last year, I seem to recall, you, you I can't remember which stock we did it on, but you did a full DCF calculation. Mm-hmm. And then you did the IV1 calculation, and they were roughly the same. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure if it was IV1 or IV2, but yeah, they were roughly the same. Right. Yeah. Mm. Okay, uh, Lee has some more questions. Thoughts on inflation in the next few years, specifically in the USA, and what impact it will have? Gee, that's that's. I think this is the sixty-four thousand dollar question. It's uh, everyone's saying interest rates are going to be lower for longer, and I accept that as being sort of the most likely case. But uh, I, let me let me again put some other ideas out there, and I'm not saying these are going to happen. But uh, if there's some kind of slowing down of the ability to buy things and we have what's called a demand shock either because uh you know trump puts walls up around the us and doesn't want to import more and puts up high tariffs and things like that so you can't import uh, as much as you were at the prices you're paying that puts that pushes the prices up of things and that's inflationary and so it, i could see about of about of uh, inflation coming out of um, the COVID 19 year so that's a possibility. I can also see a bout of deflation coming out as well, because um, if you look back into history, after the Great Depression in places like Germany, there was a great, um, you know, there was deflation happening, and and the way it was being fought was re- the currency was being revalued up. So that's that's a, a possibility. Is again, as economies go into negative growth, if it's a short, a short term sort of thing, like we might have six months of negative growth, and and. Uh, depressed GDP, which I think probably will happen, then I don't think that's going to be a long-term likely scenario, but you, you never know. And the other wild card I think we talked about last week is if the oil price 
drops low for a long time, which is good for the economy at the moment because people are paying less for their uh, their, their car tanks to be filled. Uh, but if uh, that means that uh, the oil shale producers in the US go out of business, then I can see oil being hiked in price quite steeply. And then you have another uh, demand problem that people can't afford to buy and run cars and that, that could have all kinds of implications like like uh, you know people buying electric cars. But, um, but again, it's going to have an impact on the economy, which is going to uh, potentially be inflationary. Cheap petrol doesn't do much for us when we're not allowed to drive anywhere. Yeah, that's right. And the other question I've got in my mind, which I think Spencer alluded to in his, the quote I read out before, is you know, how, where, do, where do reserve banks go from now? Um, I'm, I'm, they're saying they're going to print money until the cows come home, but surely that's got to, at some stage, either have a limit or have an impact on 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 society. Uh, I just don't know how that's going to play out and affect interest rates in the future as well. I think we should just go the next step and let everyone print out their own money from home. Yeah. <laughs> just give us the uh, official template. We can whack it on our printers. Problem solved. M- plenty of money to go around. Yeah, it's a funny sort of situation, isn't it? Like, I mean, if you took the name capitalism off the share market, it's, it's pretty much controlled by the government printing press these days, isn't it? I mean, the government sets the interest rates, which in turn sets how companies operate, uh, and they can control, you know, whether companies invest or not by going up or down with interest rates. So it's it's getting pretty close to uh, the state running things, I think. And we're being told, don't leave your homes. Police yeah. stay. Not allowed to leave your homes. Police and will be checking. And Parliament's been, uh, you know, been, what's the word? It's not prorogued. Parliament's been sent home until August. So we we basically had a coup, if you look at it that way. <laughs> Scotty from marketing's the, the grand poobah for at least the next few months. <laughs> yeah. With no parliamentary oversight. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah, the whole uh, quantitative easing stuff, just this printing off trillions of dollars, you know, I was trying to do some analysis on this the other day. I, I found a great article from Scotty from Marketing from, I think, nine months ago when Labor were trying to get him to increase the New Start allowance. And he gave a big speech in Parliament <laughs> where he said the, the government will not indulge in unfunded empathy. So I want, to, I want to know how he's funding the uh, $200 billion in empathy that he's just come up with in the last couple yeah. of weeks. Was that was that funded? Was that in the budget? I don't nope. think so. So he's indulging in unfunded empathy right now. Oh, it's good to see he's got some empathy. Uh, well, the budget's been pushed back until the second half of the year anyway, so it's not coming on until October, I think, or maybe August or September as well. Because, hmm. I mean, even the government can't forecast how this is going to end. And, and plus, of course, uh, last year when the Treasurer and the Prime Minister were talking about how bad, how much a debt Australia was carrying and how bad it was because of what Kevin Rudd did during the GFC. Uh, <laughs> turning it now, it's turned around to bite them and they're having to do it as well. Yeah, <laughs> but it's different. This time it's yeah. different, Tony. It's different when it's we fun, do it. It's fun to empathy this time. <laughs> Uh, Okay, more questions from Lee. Uh, Does Tony ever use options? Uh, Now, I I replied to Lee and said, we've actually talked about this before in Season 1, Episode 14, going right back to June of 2019. But do you want to uh, just give us your your thoughts on uh, where options fit into your strategy again for new new folks? Well, they don't fit in. I don't use them. 
the difficulty with options is that not only do you have to get the direction right, in other words, if the, the, is the share price going to rise or fall depending on your options, you've got to get the timing right because an option always expires. And I just find that too too difficult to get two things right, let alone get one. So I, I might you know buy with confidence that and say something like uh, like last year that if I was buying Fortescue Metals, it was going to go up. But I didn't know if it was going to go up next week, next month or next year. So if I had uh, took an option out instead, I run the risk of doing my dough and the next day the share market, the rallies and Fortescue is worth the price I thought it was. So I, I think options, options are dangerous. Uh, Warren Buffett said that if he had have taken out uh, options on Berkshire Hathaway, he would have been bankrupted twice during his career. So... They are the share market is very volatile. It's not time dependent, and uh, trying to time it. Well, actually, that's exactly right. It's a version of trying to time the market, mm. and uh, you know, options are also usually fairly highly leveraged. Um, you know, in that if you've got a hundred thousand dollars, you can buy exposure to a lot more stocks than a hundred thousand dollars worth because mm. uh, you've got options, uh, which are usually only you know a couple of bucks in the in the uh, dollar for the full price of the of the share so uh, you can you can really get wiped out with options easily so i stick i stick away from them i mean i assume that some option traders have a system a checklist they they know what they're doing they have some way of determining how this is going to work out but uh it sounds a lot like gambling to me taking a punt yeah, well, you're investing, but I think that it's the time dimension that makes it so hard and the leverage that, that makes it so risky. Mm. So I just think that's too hard to do. Now, I mean, perhaps what this question was alluding to is that you can hedge your own portfolio. So you could have protected from the share market crash we've had mm. if you had a, you know put options, like bought options six months into the future or 12 months into the future mm. and made sure that uh, if the share price went below the option strike price and you could have... Uh, you know, you had a contract with someone to sell that share at that price. So that's mm-hmm. a, a way of hedging. A couple of things on that. Uh, that that's an ex- it can be an expensive exercise because you've got to buy the option, uh, which could be you know ten or twenty percent of the cost of the share. So you, it's it's expensive insurance, and you know for the last five years you wouldn't have used that insurance, so it could really eat into your returns. Um, but we have insurance already, which is a three point trend line. So that's our stop loss, and that that protects us on the downside, um, probably just as well as any option could. Hmm. And I mean, it it does strike me as a form of forecasting, though options trading, right? You're, yes, it you're is. You're trying to yeah. predict that things are going to go up or down, rather than what QAV does, which is just look at the fundamentals of a business and say, well, it's being run well, and. You know, according to Warren Buffett's 60 years of doing this, stocks that uh, perform better than others, t- that tends to be reflected in the share price over time. Yeah, so I did I did like, do some a fair bit of regression testing on options at one stage. And, you know, if you take, say, for example, a couple of the shares in our share portfolio, like Qantas and Fortescue Metals and some of the other big ones, because bear in mind, options aren't available across every stock in the market. It's usually just the bigger ones. Mm. Uh, what what I found was that uh, yes, if you if you bought lots of options in Qantas or Beach Energy or Fortescue Metals, and the shares were going up, happy days, you made lots of money. But if you bought options in those companies and the shares went sideways before they went up, then you could you know your options could expire without any sort of 
upside at all. So you basically lost your money. And of course, if the share price went down, which it has done in the last few months, then you've done your dough as well. So uh, yeah, I, I find I'd rather invest in the underlying business and then use a three-point trend line to hedge. So what you're saying with the three-point trend line is it does basically the same thing. You just yeah, you, you for get no out, cost. You get out and recoup your money if things start to go south. Correct. Yeah, I shouldn't say for no cost. I mean, yeah, you lose the first twenty percent or whatever, or thirty percent of the downswing. That's the cost. Yeah, but it, but it only happens in the years where we have um, these kinds of events. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Uh, last question from Lee. He says, "I'm not seeing anything get a." above around 65% on the sheet at the moment. Has Tony found any companies with good scores? Well, you, you indicated that there's a couple that have passed the sentiment test before, but have you been bothering with any analysis recently? No. No, it's it's just it's too rubbery at the moment. Too shaky. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the next stage will be as we get closer to the end of the year, companies will come out and say, you know, we now feel comfortable forecasting our earnings will be within a range or sometimes I'll say with you know 10% up on last year or 10% down on last year or whatever that's the first sort of indication we'll get as to what's happening uh, but even then I think they'll be qualifying that a lot and saying we don't know you know how long lockdown will last and what its longer term effects are mm. and then we go into reporting season in August and that'll probably be the time that we start to to again get some better feel for what things are, are going to do, mm. and we might still be in lockdown as of then, according to Scotty from marketing. S- at yeah, least six months, he said again yesterday. Expect to be under these new restrictions for at least six months. That's yeah. That's that's probably the reverse of what Donald Trump is saying. I don't know how he gets <laughs> how he gets to six months as opposed to three months or whatever. Yeah, but we'll see. And if it lasts for six months, that's it's when probably, the pressure's going to set in, according to Kubler-Ross, I think. I think it's, I think it's <laughs> Jesus told him, Tony. <laughs> Jesus apparently told Donald Trump two weeks, told ScoMo six months. Maybe, I don't know, it's a US versus Australia thing. Maybe Jesus is more optimistic about the US. Different time zones. Yeah. A lot more believers <laughs> over there. Maybe that might have something to do with it. Maybe Jesus is trying to lure Donald into a church and... and have people around he goes to church it's the church of the Donald that's the church he goes yes. to yes. <clears throat> alright well listen uh, I'm, oh, that's the questions that's all the questions a lot less questions this week than last week uh, <laughs> anything else you want to mention while we're here yeah just a couple of things uh, a lot of the listeners who are sending us questions say that they either operate a business or have operated businesses and I just wish them well during this time. I hope that they can keep employing their staff and keep their business together. Uh, really, really do. Uh, my heart really goes out to them and, and really hope that they can get through this. So that, that's the first thing. Uh, second thing is that uh, someone sent me, I, out of the blue, I got a, a an email from Stock Doctor saying, thank you for referring Stock Doctor to a friend. And that resulted in a, a little bit off my next uh, subscription. So thank you very much. It doesn't say who did that, but uh, appreciate it. But just um, like maybe in the future, if people can mention Cameron's name, because he's now a a subscriber to Stock Doctor too, then uh, uh, if you're joining up uh, new and mention Cameron's name, he'll get a reduction in his subscriptions going forward. Yeah. (laughs) I wonder if it's a good time to uh, push Stock Doctor for that 
you know, getting getting more involved doing a deal. Do you think they're uh, sitting yeah. around twiddling their thumbs at the moment, or are they frantically trying to keep afloat? Yeah, no, that's a good point, maybe. But certainly, if we if we see enough people signing up and and mentioning you, then uh, that might give us some leverage in that kind of negotiation too. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So which might be, help us all. Yeah, that'd be good. Hmm. Okay. Well, uh, thank you everyone for your questions this week. Feel free, even if like it's okay if we've answered the questions before. Don't be shy about that. We know a lot of you have just come on in the last couple of months, and we don't expect you to listen to the previous 60 episodes or whatever it's been so yeah just send us any questions if we've talked about it before i'll send you a link and then we'll answer it again for new people it's all good like a lot of this stuff we're going to answer the same questions over and over again anyway it's good for me to hear tony talk about it uh, again to as a refresher so don't worry about any of that and uh stay safe i guess yeah yeah. And we are going through the checklist again in, in lots of detail from scratch too. So mm. don't feel uh, that we're not uh, paying attention to the checklist. And if you feel like you need some refreshers or some more detail, then listen to our episodes on uh, the checklist from scratch. And I'm about half done writing the Getting Started guide that uh, Eddie suggested. So I'm hoping to have that out at the end of this week. All things being equal, uh, the first draft of that. Um, so hopefully that will help a lot of the new folks too, just like something you can look at that'll have detailed descriptions on each column and, and that kind of stuff. So uh, yeah, I'll, I'll shoot an email mm. out to all the club subscribers when that happens. Good, good work. All right, thank you, Tony. Thank you, ball boys. We'll be back uh, next week. Actually, we'll be back this week. No, this is the no. This is three oh four. Yeah, you've already heard us twice this week. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> That's not confusing. We're recording three oh four before we record three oh three. That's why I'm confused. Everyone, just go back to what you were doing. Ignore me. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> See you again. Stay safe. And for all those new subscribers, just remember, please don't take anything you hear on this as personal financial advice for you. This is just Tony's thoughts about how he runs his affairs. Uh, your circumstances may vary, may be different. If you're looking financial, if you're looking for financial advice, please go see a financial advisor. We are not financial advisors. Tony's just an investor, and I'm his uh, button-pushing lackey. All right, take care.